Welcome to the Carbon mini-series within the Exploring Opportunities podcast brought to you as part of the future farming resilience support delivered by NIAB, AKC and Savills working in partnership. My name's Elizabeth Stockdale, I'm head of the farming systems team in NIAB and today we're going to explore a farmer perspective on carbon with my guest today who is Mark Chandler. Welcome Mark. Hi Liz. So would you want to give me just a brief introduction to yourself and your farming system? Yeah, sure. Um, I have been farming back here at home for about 20 years. Uh, we, we're down in Petworth in West Sussex, just on the north side of the South Downs, um, and just right on the edge of the of the of the lower weald. So we're sort of right on the edge of a lot of very different soil types. We're an arable farm, farm here in partnership with my father, and we cover about about three and a half thousand acres. Half of that is our own AHA tenancy, and the other half is made up of various neighbours under contract farming agreements and some small FBTs and that sort of thing. So we've we've been arable farmers for about 20 years, really, since I came home. We used to be a mixed farm with livestock, suckler herd, potatoes, um, and we changed tack in, in 2000. Um, and yeah, we're, we're like everybody, um, going through a period of transition. So we've sort of fast forwarded um over the last three or four years to we thought we were pretty set you know we thought we realized how we should farm this land and we've been doing it the same way for probably you know 10 15 years once we sort of converted to an all arable system and it's all changed so um here we are you know learning from scratch starting again and almost at the beginning of a new journey really Mm -hmm. So I've been talking about soil and organic matter and soil health throughout my 20 odd years career as a researcher. But what got your interest in carbon on farm? I mean, we've always been interested in soil, obviously, because, you know, that's at the very crux of everything we do as arable farmers. Um, and in terms of carbon, what really, if I was brutally honest, what really grabbed my attention was a desire to save some money. Um, so it, it really it was back in about I think it was 2019 when we had that really really wet autumn we didn't plant any autumn crops whatsoever and the reason we didn't do that is because we had just started sort of investigating cover crops and uh, reduced tillage we weren't direct drilling then and I had put some ground into a really nice cover crop a catch crop between the autumns and and it was just too wet to get anywhere near it and my father went and bought a plough um, because that was the only way we would ever get it planted. Anyway, after much argument <laughs> and uh, a stressful few weeks, I, I made the decision to walk away and do nothing and follow it. And that was followed by a late spring. And so we didn't plant much in the spring either. So we had a year with over, over 2,000 acres of our farm not growing any crop. That, that, was, a, that was a really, really difficult winter but in terms of the soil that decision was all about the soil um, yeah. and we were trying to look long term and what we realized is coming out of that making that decision whilst it was quite difficult financially wasn't as bad as I thought because we didn't actually spend any money we literally parked everything up for a year didn't buy any fuel didn't buy any fur you know made a huge difference um, you know it wasn't a problem in terms of our profit and loss accounts it was a lean year but it wasn't a disaster and the following autumn, it was a different farm. And that sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but that one year, just being very, very kind to it. Um, and we in the spring, we put it all into a summer legume mix. So it didn't lie, you know, without a plant in the soil for a year. Um, and we spent a lot of time digging holes and observing it and looking and seeing what we could do. And it led us to buy buy the dredge drill because once I'd had that there for a year, I didn't want to I didn't want to rip it up again. Um, so that that's really what sparked our 
our real focus on it you know we've always tried to do our best for the soil we haven't been plowing here for 25 years but um this is sort of a different level now because we understand you know how, how what difference that can make in all of those things that impact your bottom line so it's yeah it was all about money to start with <laughs> that's absolutely fine and so carbon is clearly yeah. linked to soil and soil health but it's linked to that wider greenhouse gas emissions and those mm. kind of conversations too and there's lots of terminology in that and we we come back to the carbon piece but actually we often talk about carbon footprints or carbon budgets because we're expressing everything back as carbon dioxide equivalents yeah. um, and we talk about net zero and and those sorts of things what's the most helpful way that's ever been explained to you as a farmer um probably by the likes of you really when we just talk about organic matter you know when you when you break it right down and that's where we started looking at carbon because we we were on our local water company southern water uh, sponsored a soil health project here for three years and that was just looking at organic matter you know it was just looking at organic matter to improve um they've got a particular issue with pesticides and nitrate leaching and all of that in the watercourse in the river, river rother so there were measures put in place through southern water to try and increase organic matter to reduce some of those pressures and of course once we did that and started measuring that organic matter you know you you want to win don't you you want to <laughs> you want it to get better every year so as soon as you measure something you want to get it better you know it's a very it's human nature that and you know so we were just doing that and that, and we were thinking in terms of workability of the soil we weren't really thinking about carbon at all and and it led me really to to start looking at our carbon footprint and so once we started looking at our carbon footprint and, and we you know started trying to account for all the things that we're using all of a sudden we made the link between you know organic matter and carbon in the soil and that got us really excited because all of a sudden we could find a really really powerful way to help us you know walk towards that net zero and it was actually doing that carbon accounting that gave us really an understanding so it wasn't really so much as somebody explaining it to me it was more going out going through that process of carbon calculation engaging with people like yourselves and and the water companies and my agronomists and trying to piece all that together and it's been it's been probably two or three years and we still we're still only starting really because it's such a complex subject um and what's really interesting is people get really kind of like 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 you said in your question you know it there's loads of terminology there's loads of you know and it, it's quite scary for a lot of people because you look at it and you think this is just this is just too much you know it's just, I, i've got plenty of other things to do you know i'd rather be sat out there going up and down than saying here doing a carbon account we get that but actually you can break it down to some really really simple bits um and i think that's been that's been the easiest bit for me is, is get stuck in it's painful the first time you do it but when you go through that process um, you realise there are actually only a couple of things that make a huge difference and then you can just start focusing on the easy bit and, and take away all the white noise surrounding infrastructure and buildings and, you know, all, all the silly things that make absolutely no difference to your carbon account. Yeah, it's, it's just a question of trying to keep that simple. So the NFU set a target for farming to reach net zero by 2040. Do you think that's actually possible? Do you think where, where do you think we are in relation to that? Everything's possible, Liz. You know, it depends on the level of ambition within the industry and within each individual farmer, I think, and also the support they get from government. Um, it is an ambitious target. You know, it was quite inspiring when I was at the, the conference when Manette announced that 
target, that 2040 target, and that's 10 years in front of the government's target for the rest of industry. So it's pretty ambitious. And actually what it did, it, it put British farming globally in the news. You know, it was a real, you know, eye-opening, standout, ambitious, forward-thinking thing to plan for. Uh, and I got quite inspired by it. And I was I literally run, rushing home, Googling carbon calculators, thinking, right, where do we start? It was great. And, and of course, then it took me three years to actually do one. Yeah. <laughs> because fast forward now we're here in 2024 all of a sudden you know we've only got 15 years left to get there but I think certainly over the last kind of 18 months two years certainly with transition being a, a real buzzword in our industry you know everybody's trying to make moves to to change things up it's going to speed up I think you know those changes are going to happen a lot quicker I hope it comes from within rather than from regulation um, because I think that'll get resisted fairly hard but I think at the moment the, the biggest thing that's kind of setting it back is probably from a farmer's point of view is it's the perception of a lack of reward for doing these things and having gone through some of this it, without a doubt you know there's there's mistakes that will be made and it, it'll be costly in terms of your bottom line in the short term because you know we've we've got it wrong trying to move ground less and save on fuel and fertilizer we've ended up you know our, our five year average yields have been dropping for the last three or four years not disastrously, apart from this harvest, that's been a disaster, but we won't talk about that. But, but you know, we, we then have to start thinking about margins rather than yields and looking at the business as a whole and, and it, it, it becomes quite complicated. So it it is possible, anything is, but I think it will be very challenging and it will require huge support from, I'm not sure where, probably the private sector, government funding. Um, what would be really nice is if the government looked looked wider around rather than grant funding or subsidy, just looking around, you know, Westminster in, in the different departments that can help improve things like, you know, tax breaks and, you know, allowances on buildings and, you know, bet, easier, better R&D offsets and, you know, all that sort of thing. If they, if they just had a bit of a wider scope rather than just thinking DEFRA have got to support farming one way or the other, then it would be a lot easier for industry to crack on with it. You know, that's why growth in this country is so poor is because you're just banging your head against the wall, it seems. But I won't rant on about the government. I'm sure they're trying, they're, they're <laughs> trying their very hardest. And I, and I quite like the SFI. I think it looks great and it fits in very well with what we're trying to achieve. So I shan't rant about it too much. But um, I think so those are we, the challenges. You yeah. know. If, we, if we go back to our net zero challenge, the NFU have identified that as relating, I guess, to improving efficiency, to thinking about serving the bioeconomy, so that's displacing fossil fuel use by growing fuels or fibres, and in terms of carbon storage on farm. In terms of your own farm, what have been your focus areas when you've been thinking about carbon? I think you've given us a clue, but but what, what in terms of that work going forward now, what are your focus areas in terms of that carbon footprint and carbon efficiency? Yeah, I mean, uh... Again, we try and we try and simplify it. So we we focus on three key areas on the farm here. Um, as a as an all arable farm, we we focus primarily on improving our organic matter. That's step one for us, you know. And we have measured that very thoroughly um, using various methods, you know, across the whole farm. And we've also measured our soil organic carbon levels as well. So um, we've got a, a really good baseline, and we've also got an understanding of how our soil is made up in terms of its textural analysis and in terms of its percentage of clay within that soil, and it varies hugely. So we 
we use that information to give ourselves an understanding of what that how big that pot is you know what is what is the potential of this soil you know can we can we sequester carbon you know can we can we be that carbon farmer in inverted commas can we improve organic matter the answer is yes we can you know it, you've only got a you don't have to go and spend fortunes on on sampling you just go and take a spade and dig it under the hedge and look at look at the difference between that and the land that's been worked for 20 30 years you know it's it, it can be that simple in terms of a in terms of a target to aim for um we're not obviously going to put the whole farm down to permanent pasture and go and turn into an organic you know rewilding dairy farm it's not going to happen we're going to grow crops we're going to move soil we're going to do those things so we'll never get back to what it's like under the hedge but we we just want to try and make moves to get to that point and what we can see when we do that is because organic matter and carbon are effectively two of the same thing they're yeah. directly related to each other um then if we can improve organic matter we are sequestering carbon and if we can use that to offset our our emissions then maybe there's a possibility that we can get to net zero you know because we can understand we know from a lot of the sampling work that we've done that a small increase in organic matter is an increase in carbon within the soil that is taken out of the atmosphere that's how it gets there so that is about as useful a job as British soils can possibly achieve in terms of their contribution towards net zero you know we can all chuck as many solar panels up and windmills as you like but actually if we all just stuck half a percent of organic matter on the ground it would pretty much be job done so if we try and keep that as simple as possible in that respect and of course what that does is move on to the next thing which is the two things that contribute most to our emissions which is fuel and fertilizer mm-hmm. so we want to reduce fuel so how do we reduce that well, we reduce that by increasing organic matter, because if we increase the organic matter, that soil's more workable. There's more chance of, of direct drilling or certainly tilling a lot less. Uh, wouldn't, we're not true direct drillers. You know, we, we, we're on a silty clay loam here. Uh, so a predominant soil type and the silt does have a tendency to slump and cap, particularly when you get really wet winters. And what we found in the past is if we blinkered blindly, say, I'm a direct driller and run around in my sandals and stick to plan A, what we end up is with there's some pretty poor crops if that soil's not good enough you know so we you know we we take it I, I don't like going out cultivating because it's expensive and it burns fuel um but you know i also have to make a business decision about how i'm going to grow that crop for us it's a combination of of as little as possible and hopefully you know almost almost nothing but key to that is is roots in the ground and, and good friable soil and that job just gets easier but sometimes you've got to go and mend it you know, yeah. and that's that's not that's not the end of the world. Um, no. What's tricky for us in, t- in terms of the fuel thing is it, in England, with a maritime climate, growing cereal crops, you've got to dry it, and you know you can you can do as little out in the field as you like, and then you've if you look at you know how much fuel it takes to grow a kilogram of grain, that's last year that was great. This year it looks horrendous because you know we've burnt fifteen thousand litres of diesel drying crops, and that's something that a lot of the, a lot of the world doesn't have to have to worry about so when we're trying to compare ourselves with with places elsewhere it, it, it's almost impossible you know it's a bit like yeah no every farm's different every country's different every climate's different um but we can certainly reduce it the fuel things really because this this season is the first year we've um we started monitoring fuel usage for every job in every field so whilst you know as a as an arable farmer we've always recorded seed fert and spray you know half the country uses gatekeeper you know frustratingly but it is a very functional tool and now we're doing that with fuel as well so and it's interesting because it's got the guys really really interested in it because they'll go out and 
we've been out planting cover crops this week and my chaps will come back and they'll say, well, that field did, you know, we used, you know, five litres a hectare in that field and this field worked a bit better and we used 4.6 litres a hectare. And it's all these little marginal gains that, that we try and add up. So by the end of this season, we'll have a per field fuel usage, you know, very accurate per field fuel usage. That scares everybody because when you get asked about your fuel usage, you go, well, how much diesel did I buy last year? You go and look at the accounts and you go, well, that's divided by how many fields have I got? And that's, okay, that's 65 litres a hectare. That's that's kind of where nine, that's where I was last year and where and yeah. it's not good enough. It's not, you can't reduce fuel usage looking at it like that. So that's kind of the next big thing. And then fertiliser, which actually contributes, I think last year it contributed to something like uh, 58% of our total emissions came from the use of artificial fertiliser. So that when you plug that into the into the accounts, you think, oh, how on earth are we? And, and are we and we cut back, you know, we we cut back on fertilizer because it was very expensive. Again, I didn't cut back on fertilizer because I'm trying to save the planet. I just felt like that last 50, 60 kilos was too much money for what I thought I was going to gain from it. Rightly or wrongly, our yields were down as a consequence. But <laughs> whether it was to do with that or not, I don't know. I don't think it was because we we do nutrient analysis on the grain and that was fine. So we, we've historically put too much on because it's been cheap and no farmer wants to hold a crop back because you've got it in the ground, you've got it up. I mean, why would you, why would you, you know, hold it back by saving yourself 10 quids? That's not great. So we're always going to use fertiliser. That's, that's a given. We can use different types of fertiliser. You know, there's, there's some um, net zero fertiliser coming in from Spain that Marks and Spencers are encouraging all their dairy farmers to use and our, our local uh, merchants are, are, are pushing quite hard. Is that net zero fertilizer? I don't know. You know, <laughs> we shall but we're, see. We're going but... to see more and more of that, aren't we? With that, because some of that carbon footprint yeah. of the fertilizer itself yeah. is what's happened to make it. And those yeah. things are the responsibility of the supply chain to fix, but yes. that will change the cost of the product to you. It will. I'm it's guessing. very expensive. And that's that's the frustrating bit is because, you, you know, if you make a decision to buy the net zero fertiliser as opposed to, you know, some Lithuanian urea coming straight off the boat, you know, it's going to be considerably more expensive. Is the product you're selling at the other end of it going to be worth more? Well, if you've got an M&S contract supplying milk, then yes, but it's not covering, I know it's not covering the cost of that fertiliser, it is contributing to it. From an arable farmer's point of view, where you're just growing commodity crops, they don't care. At the moment, they don't care. That will change. You know, I'm sure that will change, but at the moment, they don't care. So it's slowing down farmers making that change um, because at the moment, they're not getting rewarded for it. So if we can achieve crop production at net zero through a combination of reduction and sequestration, then we are in a strong position at that point to then go to the millers and say, is this more valuable? My concern about a premium attached to those things is it will quickly get eroded, much like the organic premiums have done. Um, so we've got to be very, very careful. And also, we don't want to give it away either. You know, as a business, we don't want to fast forward five, ten years when maybe we've achieved this and done it. And, and I can sleep at night, but nobody's thanked me for it. And actually, I'm not getting paid any more to do it either. So the, the changes we're making are not about selling carbon. You know, we're not engaged at the moment with a um, with a natural capital platform. We've looked into many, and I am of the opinion that there'll be a time and a place for that. At the moment, we're just trying to get our farm better. We're trying to get the soil better, and we're trying to make it more workable. And, and uh, the financial gain for me is going to is is on the margin of growing that crop. Is on is on a tractor less. You know. 
40% fuel less, you know, 10% fertilizer less, you know, that's, that's where I'm getting paid. Um, yeah. and, we, and we, you know, we started doing all this for that reason, you know, just to try and make our bottom line better. And then if down the road, somebody else wants to contribute to that, great. But it, I think it's scary if you start doing this to flog carbon, because that's not going to make you a fortune. Yeah, it might, it'll, it'll be a contributor to one of the many things that are happening, but I think you'll be a much more powerful business if you just focus on your soil. And I guess there might be, and you, the, the, just those small corners of fields, squaring things up and putting long-term stewardship or even woodland in that do give you those just slightly broader opportunities about yeah. sequestering or potentially then linking to things like biodiversity net gain or selling carbon associated with those things. But as you mm. say, that's around the margins of the main business of the farm, isn't it? It has to be. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an add-on. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a good add-on. I mean, we're, we're doing quite a bit of work with Trinity um, with the Sandy software at the moment, and that's I'm not plugging anything. But when we've looked at many others, we looked at Greener, we've looked at you know two or three others. What I like about that software is it, it does what you've just said. It it brings in all of those things, and a lot of these trading platforms don't account for your offsets. They don't do carbon auditing. You know they'll say to you, "Well, go and use Farm Call Toolkit or go and use AgriCalcore." You know, do one of these things. You know. <laughs> So that which says to me they don't really care what you're emitting, they just you know they're, they're, all they're focused on is is trying to reward you and themselves for carbon sequestration and however they calculate that, um, and I want that calculation to be extremely robust. You know I want I want to see it. You know I want to measure it myself. I want to be out there you know mapping it, measuring it, seeing it, monitoring it, and then I would have the confidence to say actually I have done this and it is value to it and there you go. So, you know, we need we need a partner that that can allow us to put that information in uh, as well as, like you say, consider your hedgerows. And, you know, we've done a lot of taking out corners and banks and, and, and all that sort of thing with our mid tier scheme, which was kind of we designed that in preparation for Elms when that was getting talked about, you know, through Brexit. Um, and now we've got two years left to run on that. And that's, you know, I'm now looking at SFI and how that's going to merge into it. So we've taken a big percentage of our what was our combinable acreage out of production already um but of course as soon as you take the bad bit out you get a new bad bit <laughs> because you take the headland out and you think oh, that's really good i've taken that rubbish headland out and then then you get a new headland where they you know where the field used to be and five years later you think oh you know look at your yield maps you think i could take a bit more of that out but once again it's the data is really important in making those decisions because if you yeah. look at your whole farm you know i get constantly frustrated with trying to import yield map data but it is a powerful tool you know, when you look at the margin maps on your farm, and you kind of know it. I mean, you don't need yield maps and all the data to, to know what's the crap bit on the field because your combine drive will tell you you've walked it 10 times. You know, you know, it's that it's that three acres down the bottom under the wood that's north facing and it, it, it would be better off getting funded in something completely different. And what what's kind of scared us was just doing little bits. You think, oh, you know, all I've done is lose lose five percent of my farm and i've still got all the kit and all the blokes and all the you know that's just made everything else more expensive yes it does but then if you go in if you do it in a big way you say actually why don't i take out 20 percent of my farm and the most unproductive 20 percent of my farm has never made us any money it just hasn't you know and we we stick it in a big shed and put it in a big pot and look at the average and go well that's good we've made a profit this year but when you when you think well if i did take 20 percent out could i get rid of a tractor Yes, is the answer. Could I keep my combine for a few more years because it's doing a bit less? Yes, is the answer. You know, and all these things just start adding up. And actually, it's lovely because when you walk on a farm, if you if you get if you if you engage in stewardship because 
you you genuinely enjoy it and you think that's a really good option and I want to I want to do a good job of that it's really rewarding for me I almost enjoy it as much if not more than growing the crops you know trying to get infill flower strips right is a real challenge but it's it's really enjoyable if you jump into stewardship thinking how do I get paid how do I get the most funding for the least amount of effort then you know you'll some people do you know and that's fine but I, I think it's a poor way to to look at transition to look at trying to achieve net zero to look at biodiversity gain it's it's a different way of farming it's really exciting and ties in so nicely together every time you go and try and sort one thing out it's 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 had a result for for, for another thing you know you go and sort your organic matter out bang all of a sudden your carbon audit's a bit better you know you take you take all the rubbish out and put it in stewardship all of a sudden your biodiversity is great because you've got flower strips everywhere you think oh can i stop using insecticides you know oh let's try that we haven't done that for four years now here probably bit us in the backside of it this autumn because you know we had huge aphid pressure and it's not a magic bullet um but when you look across a all the time we look at farming in a 12 years a 12 month cycle um we make poor decisions in my opinion because you think i've got to crop it all this year you know we've got to we've got to have 50 percent wheat you know bang 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 this is what we need to do if you start looking at that over three five you know ten years you think well actually in that 10 years what about what about a two-year legging fallow you know what about giving this land a day off or or two years off and does that add up over 10 years well yeah it does because you know my break crops are only breaking even i can grow a wheat either side of it you know so i've just grown two weeks in four years and i've had a two-year legging fallow which which i've been paid for my combine's done half as much all of a sudden we're making more money and it is a bit of a light bulb moment because you think well i'm farming less area and then of course the other concern is you know you'll think well, if we farm less, if we all did that, then we won't have enough food, you know. And that's that's a constant argument that comes up. And of course, in the extreme, that is correct. In the extreme, if we put the whole country down to a legged fellow, we're at the mercy of anybody else in the world, and nobody wants to see that. But the fact of the matter is, a third of this country's arable or productive farmland is only providing us with a very small percentage of our of our national yield, you know. So. It's a bit like the dairy industry. You know, when you see lots of dairy herds go out, um, smaller, unproductive herds, the amount of milk that's getting produced doesn't change much. The most productive bits of land will will need to be pushed as as well as they can be pushed. But we're without a doubt, we've been farming, because we've been subsidised to do it, I think, over the years, we've been farming all of it. And some of it isn't good enough. And we need to, we need to see that, understand where it is, um, find much better ways of managing it, and, and you'll end up, helping your carbon. So we could carry on talking about all sorts of things and even come back and focus on the carbon stuff for a lot longer, but we're not going to. You and I are going to be involved in, in running a workshop later in the autumn, um, yeah, which is to open to, to everyone involved. Um, yes. And I'm sure there'll be other opportunities to engage with both of us in various ways. But if you had to give one final message to a farmer who's just starting to think about these carbon issues, this soil stuff, what is it you would say to them? Go and dig a hole. In its simplest form, get a, get a spade out, and most farmers will do this, but a lot don't. Go and dig a hole. Get in, get in that soil. Look at your worm counts. You know, you think I've got time to go and do worm count. Just go and do one. Go and measure something and then see if you can beat it. See if you can make it better next year. You know, whether that be a worm, whether that be some organic matter, it doesn't cost much, it doesn't cost a lot of time or effort. You know, just take one field, take part of a field, take your crappiest field and think, 
should we do something different here um, and start there to start start measuring it and then you know I, I guarantee you the the competitive farmer within you will want to make it better <laughs> and that's that's the simplest form and it'll go from there brilliant thank you very much for your time um and uh, thank you <laughs>